To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week I have on Willie Schmidt. And um, Dan Picard also sits in on this episode. Uh, he's just my bow hunting brother. He brings such a unique perspective to the podcast. And, and uh, anytime I have the chance to have him on the recording, uh, I choose to bring him in with. So it's it's me and Dan Picard, Willie Schmidt. Um, Willie Schmidt, he he may be the nicest guy in the hunting industry. I, I really like that guy. Um, every time he sees me, he stops and has a meaningful conversation and, you know, he, he, he's always asking about my season and, and I'm asking about his, he always has a smile. He's always having fun. He's just a great guy. Uh, he's a great hunter. And then he, he puts on this great show, this pure hunting, um, TV and, and, uh, they do a great job of telling the story and, and narration. And, um, he's been doing it for a lot of years and he's really dialed on a system, but I love his storytelling. And I say, He's just a great guy. So we're really happy to have him on the podcast. And I just, I appreciate him taking time out of his schedule. This, this happened at Saturday on the show. You'll kind of hear the low rumble in the background. This place was packed. You could hardly even walk around the aisles, but to get him to, to sit down and in a booth and, and have a conversation with me and Dan, it was just really nice of him. And it's a, a great recording as we get into, to hunting and his past season. But then there's just... You know, there's these great tidbits of information that can help all of us further our our our, our learning curve. And and I know me and Dan pick up things from from these conversations, so I know you guys will too. It's a great episode, and, and thanks again to for uh, Willie Smith for for being on. Sponsor for today's show is Everly Stock Packs. Uh, Everly Stock's a great company, and I ran into Glenn Everly at the show. You probably heard him on one of our previous podcasts. Uh, Austin Legg, he's got a, a bunch. He's really involved in, in Everly Stock now, and they had a booth there, but uh, really fun to run into those guys and talk to them. They're always having fun as well, but they just put out a great product. Their, their packs are built tough. Um, they're, they're built to withstand the, the, the abuse that us backcountry hunters put on them. Uh, they've got a, a full warranty. They stand behind them and then they're, they just pack the weight well, uh, and, and design correctly. Um, I've really enjoyed using them here the last couple seasons. I'm using their, their kite pack for my day hunting pack. I'm using the little big top for small three to five dayers and anything over that in these big expedition style hunts, I'm using their destroyer pack. Um, I'm just really impressed at the, the products they're putting out and, uh, and it's really nice, you know, not all of us can afford a different pack for every different trip and they do make, you know, one pack that'll do it all. Um, but I, I really enjoy having a specialized pack for each trip I'm going. It allows me to cut my weight down a little bit more and just use the cubic inches that I need, but they're, they're a great company. I sure appreciate their support. Uh, so make sure to check them out if you're in the market for a new pack. Thanks to Everly Stock. And with that, um, what a fun show. A um, lot of laughs and, and uh, got myself put in for some Utah tags, some special uh, archery tags. So you never know. They may draw my name out of the hat. And 
also just in all around the West. It is so much fun right now in tag season because part of the fun of applying for these tags is thinking you might get them, you know, putting in for these these sheep tags and desert sheep tags and ibex and and then these really sought after mule deer and elk tags and um, so so right now is when we have to put in the work to to really look and break down these units and break down these hunts we're going to do and our hunting schedule and and um, apply for these but this is you know when we when we put in the research that gets our tags that that equals a quality hunting season come next year so um man oh man i have been spending way too much screen time looking at on x and draw odds and state agencies and um it's just really fun this time of year i just can't wait to see what 2019 brings and getting in my runs um i think i said on the last podcast but february uh, this has been the fifth coldest february on record i believe here in montana it may be hearsay maybe i'm making all that up i think i heard that statistic from my dad this morning talking to him on the phone but it has been a cold february but day in day out uh, i'm just out grinding getting my runs or getting in ski trips uh getting my heart rate up working out um weight training's going really good you know just a bunch of body exercises pull-ups and and push-ups and kettlebells and um man i am just uh, i'm feeling really good i'm in great shape i got both of those matthews bows just shooting absolute lights out i am so happy with the way they're shooting so um yeah really looking forward to hunting season looking looking forward to these next couple hunts uh new zealand which is going to be amazing and then bear season coming up so looking at some new spots for bear season and and possibly hunting another state so um it's fun to play with the possibilities that's for sure um i better get this thing rolling uh, so here we go. We got Willie Schmidt. Dan Picard also sits in on this one. Eastman's elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live at the Sportsman's Expo. Um, we're lucky enough to get Willie Schmidt in the Sportsman's booth and uh, get a live podcast on the show floor today. So, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for being on. I sure enjoyed our last conversation. And Willie, I've really enjoyed meeting you and getting to know you. You're just a great guy. Like the Eastmans have nothing but great things to say about you. Well, I enjoy, you know, the trade show season is a time when you get to see people about the one time of year you really get to see them. And the Eastmans guys have always been some of the guys that I really look forward to catching up with, mm -hmm. um, whether it's at dinner during the trade show or a couple of beers afterwards. Yeah. It's just a fun, fun, like-minded group of guys I like hanging out with. Isn't it? Yeah, it and is. we also have Dan Picard. Um, so he was referred to as my bow hunting twin this morning. <laughs> 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 so they kind of, uh, me and Dan are the smallest guys at Eastman's. They build all those guys, I think, about seven foot. So me and Dan constantly have to get in the back of the Uber, you know, climb in the <laughs> right. back seat of the trunk, you know. Right. But we do have Dan sitting in. Dan, thanks bunch for being yeah, on you just sure add more. to the conversation yeah. so oh i love this stuff it's a, like hearing banter back and forth and it sparks questions and yeah i, I really enjoy mm -hmm. this especially with you brian for sure yep so, so um awesome willie how was your season it was good i've been as we all as hunters ask each other how the fall was and it seems like you always remember what happens last is the most vivid in your mind mm -hmm. and the whitetail part of the season for me was was tough um, just with weather and whatnot. Uh, locked down on one hunt that I went on, it just nothing was going on. So that sort of stays freshest in my mind. But all in all, it was a pretty good season. Mm -hmm. um, Whitetails can be tough, can't they? And it almost is like you can't 
put more effort in to be successful. Like Western hunting, you know, you can climb over the next hill, grab another vantage point, re-theorize. And I, I guess whitetail hunting is the same way. It's just more of a chess game, patience game. And it seems like no matter how hard I try for seven days or eight days straight, I just can't make one of those mature bucks walk by my stand. No, and as us being all primarily Western hunters, it's sort of weird to talk about sitting in a tree stand for whitetail, but it's it extends your season and it's a fun chess match that you can do that's a different it's way too passive for me but it's the anticipation of what could be coming behind Mm -hmm. any corner as we all know the rut can make something that you've never seen show up that you didn't have trail cameras or it's one that you're trying to hunt that never shows up during the the hunt and that's what happened to me in nebraska it was just Mm -hmm. lots and lots of little bucks and i'm like another two years or another year but none of the big boys came out for five days Mm -hmm. so I, I struggle with that, too. It's it's a different game, and I think it's really good to experience, as most of the country are whitetail hunters, and it is the most effective way to hunt it. Now, I've spot and stalked them in Montana and open country, and usually you just end up chasing, you know, three-quarters of the deer off the property, and then you might get lucky on one, you know? Right. But um, it's such a chess game. I find myself uh, really second-guessing my stand choices and where I'm going to sit, always thinking I'm sitting in the wrong stand. But, um, you know, there too, there's such a skill and an art. Like, it's the same thing. Those whitetails are so switched on. Like, getting drawn on them in the tree, like, they don't just let you get away with movement up there. Like, any little movement, any little shift, and they catch you. So they are really difficult to arrow out of a tree stand. So, yeah, props to those whitetail guys. I know. Um, yep, and they, they definitely have the patient side of things down. And so I'm always trying to grow in my patience. So I think it's a good thing for us all to explore and, and do a little bit right right yeah. how was your season how was your fall oh man it's great yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's a response i want to give <laughs> but it, it wasn't great it was good yeah uh-huh yeah it was um yeah it was really good just a bunch of really fun adventures and of course you're always looking for a little bit more or maybe a little bit bigger but all in all just some some great critters down on the deck and um, some great adventures and like you say the latest is the the freshest um, so my freshest was a coos deer hunt down in Arizona, down with my bow down there, and arrowed one on the seventh day and, and just caught crazy rut action down there. So it was just so much fun and shared the hunt. A couple different buddies would meet down there and help me glass, and so that was a really fun one. Did you say that was in Arizona or New Mexico? Yeah, Arizona. Okay, yep. Whitetails in the desert, but those coos, they had like a whole different species. That's one I have not hunted and wanted to do, and, you know, they call them the gray ghost and mm-hmm. And uh, I guess even if you think you have good game viewing eyes, you got to adjust to them because mm-hmm. it's a much harder game. And oh. then, of course, the lava rock and everything, it's not ideal stalking situations. you got to do it, Willie. you got to come I'm, down well, with this. I've yeah. got Dan talked into it for next year. Yeah, I'm going to do but, it next But year. it's... Um, <laughs> You know, every different hunt and every different habitat improves your skill set in a different way. And those coups, you just can't imagine how tough they are to glass and keep track of. So it it really helps your eyes. It helps your spot and stock game, like moving in on them. They're really wily and switched on. And so um, I always feel like it improves my hunting skill every year when I go down there. But there, too, it's just a riot because it's pure action, you know. There there was one day I saw 13 bucks and didn't get one stock. They'll just, they come into your life and you see them, and then they'll go over another ridge and you lose track and they're out of your life forever, you know. But way fun. 
going back to those whitetails every time. They mm-hmm. just increase your ability and give you a good test every time. I mean, it's probably one of the most difficult hunts to do, mm-hmm. whether you're hunting whitetails in a tree stand or on the ground or coos. I mean, it's, yeah, that's about as good as a, of an animal that you can cross-train on for the rest of the year. Yeah, in North America. For sure, for well, sure. Well, we've got somebody else on the podcast here over the loudspeaker. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's pretty loud. Uh, yeah. They, the loudspeaker didn't go at all yesterday, but all of a sudden we hit record on a podcast, and uh, now it, I, I think he's going to be on for a couple minutes. All, all maybe. the announcements for the day, right? Yes, for Holy sure. Holy smokes. Yep. Uh, we did, uh, the guys did a seminar yesterday, Dan and Guy, mm-hmm. and uh, they got another one today but that was kind of fun to do sure yeah. cool yeah, yeah it was fun mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun what yep. was the topic of that um kind of just started with draw strategies and draw um all the way across the west for rifle guys i did more of the bow hunting stuff and then we talked about specific stuff uh pertaining to some of my elk hunts and why you do what you do out mm-hmm. there in this specific situation and do you call more? Do you not call more? That that sort of thing kind of got into some of the details. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was good. It was a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing it again today, too. So, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, you're uh, uh, living in Montana now. Yeah. I, I saw you were in pretty good company coming down. That looked like a, fr- a fun <laughs> truck ride and fun hanging out. I saw Matt Singer was with you guys. Yep. And, and uh, that's pretty cool that you can be in Bozeman or be in that hub or be in Montana. Um, kind of a new venture for you. Yep. We're enjoying it. It's it, Moving in at the end of August, right before the hunting season started, it took a little while because I was in and out so much and actually not there to help my wife. I don't decorate, but help her get things. I moved all the heavy stuff, and then she got to decorate, which was probably good that I was gone, but it was a little weird every time I'd come back. Like, I am coming home, but it felt like I was going someplace else because mm-hmm. I've been going back to Colorado for so many years. And uh, But we're loving it. It's a great outdoor community. It it reminds me a lot of uh, where I grew up in Colorado, Fort Collins, probably you know 40 years ago, so I know I'm also dating myself. But it it's just it's a good... I mean, you're there a lot, you know, it's got everything you need, but not maybe some of the conveniences that certainly a Denver provides, but um, just a great, and, and we're feeling like a sense of community now, getting to meet some of our neighbors, especially my wife getting really comfortable with it, and certainly no regrets. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm. Well, I bet you put together some good TV shows this year. I can't wait to see them come out. So when's the new season launch? Uh, it'll be in July, so we're a Q3, Q4 show, mm-hmm. and uh yeah, it was it was it was a good season. I'm exa- excited for it, and I think I'm gonna, you know, one of the things, and obviously you guys have print and TV and obviously podcasts and everything, but you always gotta not reinvent yourself and change the DNA because the reason people I think follow you is, who are you? Why do we care? You've developed a brand that people like to follow, but you do need to tweak some things to make it fresh and whatnot. So I'm, in line with the hunts, I think doing some new things. I've got the same editing uh, crew. Um, but I'm excited about it, actually, yeah. just doing a few new twists. Yeah, you're dialed in on the process. I really like your hunting oh, show. Oh, I yeah, appreciate that. Uh, such a great storyteller. And then it's like anything in life. Like, the more you do it, the better you get. But but you never stop working at it or trying to improve and trying to evolve it. And it sounds like that's what you're doing now. Yeah, I think if you sit back, you get comfortable. And then, yep. you know, it's just uh, people notice that, right? And I don't ever want to be comfortable. There's... Um, if you treat it like a business and you care about it, I think you're always going to want to improve. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the last time we talked um, was before hunting season, and we talked a lot about your elk hunts. So how did the elk hunts go this year? That was the one, the biggest disappointment for me is I did not elk hunt a lot. Moving in end of August, someplace new. And the one thing that I, 
I hate planning anything other than elk hunts during September because I'm so passionate about elk hunting. But an outfitter that actually Jason Matzinger and I had hunted bears with a couple of years ago in Alberta had a cancellation hunt for an early season whitetail in Alberta. And just with everything going on, I said, I'm going to take advantage of it. I, I wouldn't do that if I didn't know the outfitter. Mm-hmm. But I knew Colin really well. And, and so I took advantage of that. And that was eight days up in Alberta. Oh, and wow. uh, I killed my best eight point um, with a bow, which was a ton of fun. And nice. Self-filmed that. And then we got to go do some coyote hunting. And Colin's just a great guy. And, and it was just me and camp the last four days. So mm-hmm. it was a ton of fun. But all of that to come back to say I really didn't hunt elk much. So you self-filmed that one. Yep. Yeah, that had to be... They build those whitetails so heavy and, and palmated oh, there, yeah. and your best eight that has to be a good looking buck. I got to see a photo when we finish oh, up. Oh, yeah, it was good, and it was you know it wasn't the, the nasty gnarly kickers. It was just a good clean eight, almost a nine, but really heavy, dark chocolate horns. And what they say is true. I mean, these bo- these deer up there are so big bodied that it kind of makes their antlers look smaller. So it's really hard to judge them. And Colin and I had talked before I went up there, and he said. You know, what are you looking for? He says, I think something in the 140s or 150s is very doable. Something bigger is also. But, you know, what are your expectations? And I just, I think like a lot of us want to shoot a good, mature deer representative of the area. And one night I had three bucks come in. And I'm looking, I'm like, God, you know, those are, I put them right around the mid, low to mid, maybe upper 140s. But I'm I'm just not sure. And, of course, I'm self-filming and everything. And they walked out of my life and everything and, and went back to the, the house with Colin and I was showing him he kind of went you are you happy you passed on those <laughs> <laughs> I went, mm, maybe I shouldn't be and he said no if, the, if any one of those come in I mean you got to do what's right for you you have to be happy yeah. with your hunt but he said as an outfitter and what I'm trying to do all three of those were mature bucks four and a half or five and a half and he said they were in in that uh, antler size class we were talking about so the one thing I really enjoyed about that hunt is is we talked about sitting whitetails and moving stands. He said, if it's all the same to you, first of all, he does eight-day hunts, not five-day hunts. So you're getting a little better bang for your buck. And he feels if you sit the same stand that many days in a row, you're going to have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, that's that's what happened. We didn't change stands a lot. And, and uh, I did have an interesting mishap I've never had before. And it was my release would prematurely release. It was cold unseasonably cold and i've been using sort of shame on me i've been using my release for a couple of years and mm-hmm. things wear out and i'd been shooting it when i got up there to you know being make sure i was dialed in and everything and it was working fine well i pulled back on a buck and i was just settling in and i didn't touch my trigger Bunk! oh no <laughs> airmailed the buck so at least it was a clean deal but all of a sudden you talk about getting in between the ears and losing your confidence it was almost like i had target panic so huh. the next morning actually in the stand i after the morning hunt, nothing happened. I, I always have a judo point in one of my arrows, whether it's for grouse or shooting stumps or doing whatever. So I said, well, we'll see what happens. And I pulled back, and I was just settling in again, and it prematurely went off. No. And I'm like, oh, my God. So that whole middle part of the day, I was tweaking it. I was seeing if it was going to hold or not, and I actually ended up using um, Colin's wife's release. Fortunately, they're archery hunters and did all that, but it was not a thumb release. It was a trigger. So I had to spend about an hour trying to make sure I got the right – you know, stretch on it, and distance. so it was right where my finger, and I, and I had to build that confidence back. But even then, man, when I pulled back on the deer that I shot, I just hate having doubt. Yeah. It's hard enough yeah. as it is when everything's working. When you start getting a little self-doubt in between the years, it's it's not easy. Mm-hmm. 
Man, mm-hmm. it is never easy with a bow and arrow. I had a, a malfunction this year, and I haven't had one in 10 years, but I had uh, my rest. The grease in it got cold, and I was hunting well below zero, yeah. kind of the end of bow hunting elk season, and I got a perfect shot at this six-point at 40 yards, crept in the timber. He was all by himself away from the herd, drew back, settled my pin, and my rest didn't fall away, and my arrow came out of there wild, nowhere close to the bull. No kidding. Busted my rest. There was another bull on the hillside, but I couldn't make my rest work the grease had seized up in it or got stiff so i had to go all the way back home sight in a new rest but um oh, man. Oh. you're you're right that self-doubt or when you have something go wrong and and it all comes back to me whether it's the rest that failed or not i need to test things i need to make sure that all the equipment on my bow is working properly but i had tested this rest for ten thousand shots it had never done yep. that yep. but it was that cold weather and i had shot it in the cold but i'd go out hunting in the cold jump in my truck come home pull out my bow shoot yep. at the target so it'd warm up in my truck yeah you know but yeah that just kills you doesn't but you made good on it. that had to be tough to get used to another release and another like everything's changing around mm-hmm. you and you're still trying to have confidence and be accurate that's yep. crazy it was nuts and uh i immediately came back and and shame on me i mean you know you'd think as experienced as we are and have been doing as long that you don't make mistakes like this, but I didn't take a backup release. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got, I think like we all do, three or four or five and a couple of the exact same models so you don't feel like you have to tweak something. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. So, for, like I said, fortunately, and, and this was up in north of Edmonton, Alberta, Alberta so that there's not a, a Cabela's or anything right around the corner. You're out there. So I was just glad that they had a couple of options I could choose from and just spent the time tweaking and making mm-hmm. some adjustments and everything else. But... That's the hard part with that. With There's so many things that can go wrong on a bow. And in reality, if you put together a kit of an extra of everything, that's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's hard to do that mentally. You do so many hunts or so many repetitions of shots, and you're like, ah, I don't need an extra. No problem. I don't need a release, an extra release. And it's, it's hard to, to really remember that as you go on with hunts and remember an extra release and I, I try to bring an extra release but I don't remember it all the time because I've never needed it mm-hmm. and th- that's that's a good lesson right there to always try to bring extra of everything if you can mm-hmm. yep yeah, yeah I had a um I had a, you know, things can just happen. There's moving parts. There's so many moving parts, like you were saying, Dan, to a bow or to a hunt. And, um, yeah, I another thing with those rests, so this is a good tip for guys, too, is go through your rests and clean them and oil them before seasons. I've seen where these rests get a little sticky, so they get a little uh, uh, gummed up or a little sticky, and it's a little delayed release. Not enough to even notice, but all of a sudden your accuracy just starts going to hell, and you can't figure it out. Your groups are spaced out, and just a little squirt of grease in there, a little screw, uh, squirt of oil in right. that, that, that release, and it solves all your problems. So I do that every year before season and middle of the season, kind of clean it up, make sure it's oiled, and just make sure everything's smooth. Because that catch, you don't notice, and, and you can't shoot accurately and you can't figure out what's going on and again then it starts messing with your head it does and in a practice environment you practice so much to get that muscle memory and where hopefully everything's automatic but you also become sort of complacent on that everything's going to work the yep. way it is when you're in a controlled setting a yep. funny story i had years and years ago i was hunting with it my dad's buddy and got on this herd of elk and i got him up there and so i was going to call for him everything was just ideal had this calf come in finally i let a bugle go and this guy came in thinking that 
bull was sneaking in on his herd. 30 yards, I stopped the bull, he draws back, and he hit, it was his old-fashioned prong rest that came up. Some of the, uh, the coating that was on that had worn off. Mm. And when he drew back, it was the old aluminum arrows. I remember oh, no. those days. Yeah. Yep. And oh, all no. of a sudden, that bull turns and looks at him and took off. And to the point that when you are practicing in an, a range or on your own, you don't realize there's always something going on. You're not paying attention to those little squeaks. And when you're just dead quiet in that hunting situation at 30 yards, it sounded like a, you know fingernails on a chalkboard. Yep. And that bull took off. And you're like, I never noticed that little squeak. It's amazing. I was just thinking when I went to New Zealand last year, and I didn't bring an extra rest. I brought an extra release, but I was still paranoid about my string and my rest. Anyway, I'm six miles back in the bush in New Zealand camping, and, of course, it's a rainforest up there. And I think the first morning I was in there, I heard some noise below my tent, and I gave out a hind call, and this spike came up right to my tent, and I drew back. And he came around a big stump, and he was probably like seven yards frontal and shot him. Rest didn't drop. Oh, no. And it was so close, I still hit him in the heart and still killed him and everything. But I was like, what in the heck? Luckily, I brought a field tip. And I'm, I mean, I'm on the other side of the world. I don't, if, if something blows up, I was just thinking, like, if my arrow went through my, my fork and, and broke it, that's it. I'm done. What am I going to do? I'm on the other side of the world, and I have no extra parts or anything. And it took me a few times to figure it out, but what happened was the, the pull cord from the rest, it's QAD to the cable, it stretched. And you know that cord is pretty dense, it's like a hard cord. And in Wyoming or bow hunting out west or even Hawaii, it's, it's dry and that cord it stays pretty compacted and stiff. And in New Zealand, it, I mean, it got soaked. It's raining the whole time. It stretched on me. Oh, wow. That's what oh, happens. Wow. That pull cord stretched. So what I had to do, it took me a few times to figure it out. Luckily, I brought a field tip in there with me. But I was shooting into the bank, and I had to shorten my pull cord because that moisture stretched that pull cord out. So stuff like that, you, you wouldn't think about at all. And it could have ruined my yeah. 3,200-mile expedition <laughs> across you know, to New Zealand and Australia on just one little thing. That stuff like that scares the crap out Man, of me. Man, the <laughs> devil is in the details, isn't it? And you always have to be prepared for the worst-case scenario. And most of the time, everything works fine the entire season, just like you practice, yep. execute your shots. But when something goes wrong, it just sticks in your mind. Now, do you guys bring a backup? It sounds like, Dan, you didn't bring a backup bow. Like, sometimes I'll bring a backup bow. I'll bring two with me if I'm going on a big hunt like that. I used to just take an extra string, extra rest, extra sight. But then I figure, I'm going to have a couple days of trying to put all this stuff together you know if i do have to do something well, yeah. so i started throwing an extra bow in and it's a great idea i mean i would i was limited for space and i mean you know how I it know. is you're trying to fit everything and you're like do i really need it and i'll just be really careful and won't have and i don't usually even bring an extra rest but like on a on an international trip like that you have to mm -hmm. You'd be foolish not to. I mean, I learned my lesson. Yeah, well, and the airlines probably get you for about $400 to bring an extra bow. You yeah, know, you, mean, like you say, you have to pack light. Do you bring an extra bow, Willie? You know, I have on a lot of the the hunts that I go on when I'm driving, mm -hmm. even though space sometimes at a premium with two guys or whatever and all the gear. But, but to throw that extra, even a soft bow case for a backup, it's great. The one cool thing when Chris and I hunt together is we essentially have the identical setup. I mean, we have the same arrows, almost the same draw length within a half an inch we shoot. So, I mean, if, if something were to really hit the fan with one of our bows, 
you could easily grab the other one, have the confidence, not just like all of a sudden one of us has a 32-inch draw length, you know, on our way back <laughs> <Right>. here, <laughs> whatever. So, so that's sort of a unique opportunity if we're hunting together. But if it is just me, when I drive, I do try to take a backup bow. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a, a good double bow case, and you're already taking so much gear. But to your point, 99% of the time, things are going to work great. But it's that one time Murphy yep. decides to come take a visit, and it's when you've forgotten something yep. or you're not prepared. Isn't that the truth? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. You have to go through your, your gear meticulously to, to figure out what to bring and what not to bring, what you want backups of. Mm-hmm. And like you say, when I'm in my truck, I've almost got backups of everything I have in my truck in case right. I pop a mattress or you know whatever the case is. But, um, yeah, your gear pe- preparation and your bow preparation is so important. And 99% of the time it works, but when it doesn't, it sure would be nice to have that extra bow all set up, all the confidence in the world, yep. and just grab that thing and go. Do you guys take a uh, little bow press with you at all, as well as part of your kit? Yes, um, that's what I would take when I'd bring an extra string, mm-hmm. extra sight. But if I throw an extra bow in, you, I'm done. Right. All you I got, it, I got yeah. two bows, that's and right. I've got one of those. I don't know if it's an SKB or it's a double bow case. Okay. So I can put two bows in there when I fly yep. or when I travel. Now, most of the time I'm trying to, to stuff, you know, 100 pounds of gear in a 50-pound bag. So I'm usually <laughs> got that thing just packed full of gear on top right. and, and uh, usually over the weight limit. But like you say, if you needed it, especially like on one of these international yes. hunts like you're talking yeah. about, but any of our hunts mean so much to us, yep. even if you're traveling for an elk hunt. You know, you'd hate to be stuck without a bow, or without a bow you had confidence in. Well, and we're all cost conscious. I mean, it's all budgetary. But if you're going there and you're worried about spending it, I mean, in the whole scheme of things, just say an extra hundred dollars on luggage fees. You hate to do it. If it yep. blows up your hunt, your two, three, four thousand dollar hunt or more, because you don't have your gear and you could have saved the whole hunt with an extra hundred dollars, would you do it? That's sort of a mindset. It's right, almost like an right. insurance policy that exactly. you're like, okay, it's it's worth it for that. And you may never touch it, which would be a nice thing to have to worry about. But when you do, it's a small price to pay. Mm-hmm. So you sometimes you need to spend a little bit of extra money just for that confidence and backup. Mm-hmm. It, it could be the best money you spend. Absolutely. I can't be so cheap is what you're telling me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, trust I'm me. Adopting, <laughs> I'm adopting your mindset. I think that's a great way to look at yeah. it. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, I am yep. too cheap, that's for sure. Yep. <laughs> I yep. watch every penny. It, just, <laughs> it hurts me to spend money sometimes. You I know? agree. Yeah, but I, I love spending on what I enjoy to do, and, and I just it's all part of it. And once I spend it, I'm done. But, yeah, it bothers me sometimes mm-hmm. to spend that kind of money. Especially it's hard for me to swallow, too, when you're like, airline fees you're like but those guys are overcharging anyway it's like i'm not gonna you know how it gets oh but, yeah but no that's a good wake-up call it really is it's it's a cheap insurance policy in reality yeah absolutely yeah. could just save the hunt. yeah yeah uh, mm-hmm. uh well what other hunts do you go on willie um what's some of the episodes you got coming up yeah so i'll just talk about mine chris had a couple but one of the cool hunts was just coming to montana i'd been putting in for pronghorn with my daughter well before we moved up there, she was going to school up there, and I thought it would be a fun father-daughter hunt. You know, pronghorns usually lots of action. It can be just a weekend, and we did a unit close to Bozeman so we didn't have to spend a whole day traveling to the eastern part of the state. So so we hunted around there, and, and uh, it was a great father-daughter deal. I killed probably the smallest, not probably, I killed the smallest pronghorn buck I've ever shot, and it may be the most memorable because it was cool. a hunt with her. Yep. And uh, she unfortunately missed two on camera, which I think was some of the issue. She, you know, you're trying to be dad, you're trying to be 
co you know guide her as co-host you're trying to do all those things and and she just got nervous and it, and, and it happens and that was one of my favorite hunts and it'll be great just because i think the camaraderie of family um she's 21 but getting your kids in the outdoors she is she graduated with wildlife ecology that her passion is the outdoors so it's really fun to to see her take off with that and then i did this big uh three week long deer tour i would say on my own and uh hunted whitetail in ohio should have been perfect pre-rut weather good moon phase it rained for five days straight and uh we hunted but it was not good then i did kill my best mule deer ever oh good for you i think we talked about it i hunted the same place for three years and finally killed uh it's not a giant it's about a mid 170s buck but it was really cool i I was tickled to death and then uh hunted some more whitetail both in wyoming not far from uh where you guys are. I was talking to Brandon a little bit about it around uh, Burlington, and there's some good bucks around there, but I only had a couple of days and didn't happen, and then Nebraska wrapped up. So a couple of really good. You always have to figure out something like that. Do you have enough footage? Because I'm not afraid to show a no-kill because that's reality. But you at least have to have enough encounters to make it compelling with the story and just kind of all the travel i put on and doing it kind of on your own was was pretty cool that's really cool the deer tour yeah that sounds like a heck of a mule deer they'd start getting up around that 160 170 and for me it's about the age class and just like your buck up north the the big eight Mm -hmm. like uh mass and age makes the deer you know and so if you can get a decent heavy deer and like you say your best mule deer that had to feel pretty good where did you say that was at again willie it was in uh north central colorado okay yep nice yeah Uh, spot and stock yeah, cool. Yep. It, it's uh, Spot and stock is a high degree of difficulty, isn't it? But it's fun to embark on the challenge. It is, absolutely. And you learn something every time. Mm-hmm. Open country? Yeah, I mean, this was this was a third season rifle hunt. Um, but it was it's it's really cool country. You know, it's got the, it's traditional Colorado stuff. You get some sage flats. You get up in the aspen and then the dark timber. And third season, you know, you got some bucks that are migrating because of the weather but also this place that i've hunted a couple of years holds a lot of does so we really try not to mess the does because you know every morning or evening there could be some new bucks coming in just to check them out and that's that's what happened oh yeah so you're just right at the start of the rut like what would the dates be right around november 1st somewhere Uh, around there it was like the third through the sixth on that Mm -hmm. on i there were it's a nine day long season and just the way the guy who was my host worked it out there were four hunters and so i took the first part of the season so four and a half days and a couple guys took the second half of the season so it was like the third fourth fifth sixth of november Mm -hmm. i love that rut that is so much fun but that's how i hunt them too is i you find the does and you hunt the does now you need to be in a good area sometimes there'll be 30 40 does and there will never be a good buck that ever shows up to rut them because you're just not in a good area Mm -hmm. um I, i think these bucks so my theory on it is that, um, you know, the bucks are rutting does. That's all they're thinking about. But I think the bucks that grow up to this older age class, they, they learn to rut the does in these secluded drainages or these basins that are away from roads or that are a little bit tougher to see because that's where they can grow up to be four or five, six years old. They don't get shot. Right. So I try to focus on those drainages. And then I try to find, you know, a population like the spot I hunted this year. I killed uh, my best Montana buck with, with my bow um, late during the rut. It was just awesome hunt. I, I caught one of the best days of mule deer hunting I've ever caught. I Is think I right? had 
five stocks and I finally ended up arrowing this heavy one. It, it wasn't even the best buck I chased that day, but it was just crazy. It was below zero, nobody hunting, mm. snow everywhere, and it just turned on. But I have these drainages where I'll find 30, 40, 50 does that live in these drainages, and then I try not to bump them at all. And every day there's just new bucks that show up and you never know what you're going to get into. So my family had been hunting for three, four, or five days. They'd been hunting with rifles down there and and they hadn't caught it right. They'd been seeing smaller bucks. Okay. And they'd be hunting these drainages and these ridgelines and these these places, you know, where I've done good over the years. Right. And they just weren't turning up. And uh, so I showed up down there. And that day I showed up was just crazy rutting, insane <laughs> action. It was the best day of mule deer hunting I've ever had. It was just crazy. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, I'm the same way. I like to hunt those does, mm-hmm. not bump them out, have these drainages where they're at, and then watch the bucks just show up, move through. One day they're in one drainage, next day they're in the next. They're just traveling country. It's, it's a fun time of year, you know, and it's all about putting time in the field to time it right because no guarantees, like you say. A little early, a little late, you miss them. Mm-hmm. How I important see. is time? You said that <sighs> you're, that outfitter does eight days instead of five. Yep. If I have the time, I can usually you know, find yep. and, and have a chance at a, at a trophy critter. It's all about having the time on these hunts, isn't it? Don't you think, Dan? Yes. I was thinking about elk when you guys brought that up. There's been areas in the past that one week you'll hunt it, and it's just mind-blowingly awesome, just epic hunting. And then you can hunt it the next year in the same week, and it's just junk you know, ghost town, not good hunting. Mm-hmm. And so it's the ha- the ability to have time to be out there and, and you know, catch, catch them when they're uh, most susceptible is huge. I mean, if you spend 20 days on a hunt, you're probably going to be successful. Mm-hmm. If you have four days, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But, yeah, time, time is everything. Sometimes in Montana, our general elk can be tough with a bow and arrow, especially yes. when you're looking for a mature six-point. There, there's been multiple years where I've had to put in 20 days to kill an elk. Now, a lot of those yeah. are long weekends, mm-hmm. and then I go back home, and then I shoot back out, and we've got like a six-week bow season. Right. Um, but, yeah, a lot of years I have 20 or more days into killing a, a public land six-point bull. It's just crazy. You just got to have the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's amazing how fast it can turn off or turn on. So, I yep. mean, it yep. it's not this gradual slow. I, I can remember hunting in Colorado one time with my dad. We had two or three days of just great bugling activity, and we're hunting a couple of these drainages. We've hunted there forever, so we know it really well. We went in the next morning, say it was morning three, and it was crickets. I mean, you couldn't even get a far-off bugle, which for two, two days in a row we'd had, you know, you may not get on a bull, but you're hearing stuff, so you at least have something to chase. It was almost like... Somebody had gone in and set up camp and had the scent all over the, the drainage or something like that, or a pack of wolves had moved, and it was that quiet. And as we moved up through there, I came up, we came up on a herd of elk. But it's just whatever cow was in heat that was getting them all going, or a couple of them, had been bred, and there was none, no other one that was in either pre-estrus or estrus, and so it was just, oh, we're just being elk and quiet. And it was like that overnight. Yep. Yep. Boy, you got to strike while the iron's hot on those elk. <laughs> I, I'm with you, Willie. I've seen that, too. It's just amazing. You can see the, the craziest rutting action where you hear three, 400 bugles, and then the next day you see these bulls, and they're feeding off by themselves, and you just hear crickets. You can see the elk. They're just yeah. not rutting. And that, you know, everybody's always looking for the right dates to hunt for elk. And, and you definitely want good dates where they, where they are rutting or coming into estrus, but it ebbs and flows, you know. It, they come in, and they get really hot and rut really 
really hard. Like you were talking about estrus and pre-estrus, the cows come in and they, they breed them. Everything's going off and going crazy. And then all of a sudden it'll come back down and it can be the, the 20th of September, the hottest dates. And there's no elk rutting, but yeah. you can go across the mountain range or down the mountain yeah. range 10 miles and they're rutting hard there. It's just so wild where, you know, you just have to spend the time yep. and then capitalize and strike while the iron's hot, yep. you know, when you do get good rutting action, because that's the time to kill a good bull. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's pretty normal for elk behavior. What I've seen in, in the past is they do that. It just ebbs and flows, especially in areas that have uh, a smaller density of elk. That's why I like Idaho in some of these areas. You're hunting cow herds that have 200 head in them. And while that's really tough to hunt a herd that big, you get a lot of satellite bulls coming in and out, and, and you can bet on you're going to have consistent action. Because like most mountain hunts, I've, I mean, that's the same, uh, experience the same thing. Ebbs and flows, you have good action for a day or two, and then nothing. Mm-hmm. And that makes it tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes it tough. And so if you can find a good density of elk with like a big cow herd Mm -hmm. your odds of having action consistently just have gone up dramatically because of just the number of elk that's a good point that's what i found over the years yeah that's a good point dan Mm -hmm. so like that late season it seems like those elk really tend to group up into the bigger groups and maybe that's so the bulls can find a cow that's in estrus you know there's just a better chance because they're you know some of those herds can be 200 300 400 elk in that late october or early october late bow season you know and it seems like you can usually find rutting action in october when everybody's given up just because they are in those big herds and there are cows still coming into second cycle or coming into their first cycle. yeah no that's a, a good point too is that second cycle or you know lucky enough in montana that you get a bow hunt for a couple weeks in october and and take advantage of that and i mean i I grew up in montana i spent 25 years there and hunted generals and it's just what you guys are describing that's what it's like it's tough up in the mountains you'll get a few days of good action and then yeah it shuts shuts down and you're like well now what do i do it's all timber you're not going to go spot and stock so Mm -hmm. maybe you'd sit on a water hole and try to salvage something and maybe get an opportunity at something but I struggled for a lot of years in Montana to kill a, a good bull because you just can't get consistent action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and they're so nomadic, too, yeah. just oh, by yeah. nature, you know. The weather. Yeah, there's so many factors. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Elk are just tough, it's, right? Yeah, it's just tough. <laughs> yeah, we can just, as a whole, they're just tough. Mm-hmm. It's bottom line. Yeah. So, uh, they always keep you running. Sure would be nice to draw one of these premium tags for elk, wouldn't it? Mm. Like, I'm such a general season hunter, which I love and embrace and wouldn't want it any other way. But I put in for all these hunts across. And now, you know, we're, 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 we're at the expo here, and they actually do quite a few quality tags that are in raffles and, and in different things. But, gosh, I'd love to have one of those great tags that there's only 20 guys that mm-hmm. have it, limited pressure, and, and just some of those next-level bowls ripping around. Me and Dan met a guy yesterday from Nevada, a couple guys that came up and introduced themselves. Man, are they killing some bowls there in Nevada. No, right? Those tags are really tough to get. Yeah. They always have been, and mm-hmm. I always apply. But um, some of those bowls he showed us, just one after another of next level, 350-plus, 370-plus, 380-plus. His phone was full of them, and he giant just wanted to points. share. No Man. kidding. Yeah. Yep. yeah, giant six points. Are they residents? Is it easier for a resident to draw those tags? 
Yeah, and it's still not easy. I think it's still 10%, I think is what they're saying, okay. 10% odds. Yep. And I think those guys, they it seems like they get a tag every 7 to 10 years or something. But they're, the one guy's an outfitter there. I mean, they know the country really well, too. But, yeah, just consistently producing giant bulls. But I think what he said, too, is that they only give out 25 tags. And so when you have some of those big areas, 25 tags, that's like no pressure. Well, it was like 400 square miles yeah. in that unit, 25 tags. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, you know, in the same breath where it'd be really nice to draw one of those premium tags and go in there, I, I think to be a good elk hunter, you know, you got to be hunting elk, not every year, every other year, but as much as you can to get as much experience and spend as much time around them. And, and really the fun's in doing it. The fun's in experiencing it oh, and yeah. going for it. And, and good six points just still get me excited, you know. And so I, I guess I'm just fortunate. I get to hunt elk every year in Montana. And and, and and now you do, Willie, and I know you hunt elk nearly every season. And, and Dan, you go nuts. You hunt a, a few different states every year for elk. You love elk hunting. But it's just putting yourself in the elk woods, learning elk behavior, what yep. they do, and, and trying to capitalize. And so, you know, we're just fortunate we can get elk tags, yep. I guess. Yep. I, I wouldn't yep. want the, I, I wouldn't want, you know, those guys to draw a tag every seven to ten years. I just wouldn't want to hunt with that model. I Yeah, I want to oh, chase them every year, absolutely. chase them every other, you know, as much as I can. Yep. And even if it's, you know, Colorado that manages more for quantity than they do quality, just to get out there and learn like you say i mean it's all about learning the elk behavior and putting time in the woods and just seeing what you can do even if you're hunting you know 260 class bulls just the oh, fact yeah. to get out there and do that and part of my deal is if i get a bull that comes in i mean i i sometimes i don't like passing on stuff for something bigger because you get so few opportunities yep. that uh yep. if one presents itself and you're happy with it you know you take it and That's a exactly lot of times right. in colorado you have to do that when i hunted montana the first time well not the first time but two years ago um, joined a lease with a guy, and he's like, oh, that's that's a dink you'd pass. And I'm like, well, coming from Colorado, you'd take that bull all day long because, that, you know, that's just – it's a different mindset because of the quality. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. It's it's hard to evolve your mindset, too, to – when you – well, number one, build an expectation for an area, but you're used to one type of thing. And, and that's – I was the same way in, in Montana growing up on a general – any six point. I mean, heck, if you should kill a cow on a general in Montana, I mean, heck, you did a good job, fan. I mean, the good work because mm-hmm. it's not easy to do out there. But just to kill a six point in Montana, that I mean, on a general, heck, I'd shoot a two sixty six point any day of the week mm-hmm. on a general in Montana. Mm-hmm. You just have to know what to expect and and what that area has to offer and keep an open mind. But it's hard when you get in a rut like that in Colorado. I mean, same thing. It's the same mindset. And so I've had this conversation with my brother quite a bit because, you know, he's Libby, Montana, way up northwest. And, yeah, I mean, if it's brown, it's down, boys, when it it comes to bow hunting up there. I'm like, I don't blame you one bit. But this is a limited entry hunt. Let's look over some bulls. We don't have to kill the first thing that walks, you know, stands in front of us. So talk them down a little bit. And it, it gets to be like a a religion <laughs> it does it really does well and the mindset thing you're talking about dan too like um your 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 expectations has to match your opportunity yeah um and the fun of hunting elk is hunting elk it's not just looking at elk and so no he's not big enough or and, and so you can you may set your sights on this high lofty goal like i've done before like i I really want to kill a 350 plus with my bow. Now that's just a number. He doesn't have to actually score it, but just that that next level bull. Yep. But I've had seasons where you know I, I've been successful on, on these 
the the you know just a smaller size of that and it's like this year i'm holding out for that one well i spend the entire season not hunting elk and just looking over elk to maybe get one opportunity or maybe not Mm -hmm. and i get done with elk season and go you know I don't think I had fun this season. I think next season, like I have to, if it's a 326 point or a 306 point or a, a 280, like I'm, I'm going to take that opportunity and try to make it happen because as a bow hunter, you try to get more proficient at your skills so you can make good with less opportunity so you can get that one chance and make it happen. But the reality of it is failure is a prerequisite yep. and you, you're yep. probably not going to get it right on the first time every time. And sure. so you need to create chances. And with that, you just need to set realis- realistic expectations, I think. Yep. 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 That's exactly what it is. Realistic expectations for the area that you're hunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bottom, yep. bottom line. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but it sure is fun. Like you say, it's getting in the right headspace and thinking about it the right way. Yeah. Um, it's and, hard to do. And it's tough, just like it, yeah. like uh, your hunt where you passed up those shooter whitetails. I know. You know, thinking that they got bigger. but And you know whitetails really well, and you would have been happy with those whitetails, but you're not sure if you're going to be happy with them in that area. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No, and funny, I... I met a guy from nebraska a couple years ago who just had moved out to colorado and and he was going to go on his first elk hunt and i think we touched base because we we shot at the same archery shop and he was picking my brain everything and i said well what what are your expectations i mean he first of all he didn't even know the application process thought you know it applying for a specific area pinned him to that area forever that he was going to apply i'm like no no you can just do a point or you can apply to an area if you don't draw you don't have to do that again and so it was just educating him. And then he says, well, I, you know, if an opportunity presents itself, I don't want to shoot anything under a 300-class six-point. And I said, Dusty, you know, all due respect, I would liken a 300-class bull to a 150-class whitetail. Have you shot one of those in Nebraska yet? Well, no. And I'm like, well, set your sights a little bit lower to learn the animal and have a good time. I would shoot any legal bull. I'd even shoot a cow if it's neither sex one, just to get that experience of how to interact with the animals and whatnot. So you'll get there, and I would contend he didn't even know what, you know, he'd probably see a 260 class, and he'd think it wasn't over 300 because you're not used to yep. seeing them. And, yep. I mean, I, I bet you elk are probably overjudged more often than not. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any any better. Mm-hmm. Like, in reality, and that's why I like killing elk and scoring them, I don't care if it's a 260. And I made a post the other day on, on uh, Instagram. I but, saw that. I really liked but, it. But, yeah, people are like, oh, yep. it's all about the meat, and it's all, and, it, and that's great. It is, but I love elk, and I want to learn more about them, and, and especially when it comes to scoring. And so kill a 270 bull, score the sucker, know what you're looking at. That's what it's all about is just getting better anyway. That's what we're talking about, just getting better doing what we're doing. And, and so, yeah, a lot of guys don't know what a 300-inch bull looks like. That's a big bull. It is a big a bull. A 300-inch six-point is a big bull. It is a big bull. Yeah. And, and yeah, guys really don't know what that is. 300's thrown around pretty loosely yeah. in the Elkwoods. It but is. that is a good, mature bull. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's, um, it's the progression of a hunter. Like, yep. you have yep. to work your, your way up the rungs of the ladder. And, and you know, we all like to, to shoot big critters, but you, you got to start somewhere. you got to yep. get your first bull down. You Then you got to get your first branch antler and your first six-point. But I think it's important for to, to not skip those steps because you're learning how to be proficient at making your shot. You're learning learning how to be proficient at elk hunting. You're improving your skill set to where then you do have the skills to say, okay, this year it's a 300 bull or this year it's a 320 bull, but you have to work your way up those rungs of the ladder and not set your goals too lofty when you don't have the experience or the proficiency to kill one of those next level bulls. Amen. Amen. And Willie couldn't have said any better. Just 
getting experience, whether you're shooting a cow, whether you're shooting any bull, just getting that experience, that's the only way to do it. You're not going to gain any experience if you think you need to shoot a 320 bull and you never, you don't shoot an elk in 10 years, and then an opportunity comes in front of you and you you don't have experience killing elk. Mm-hmm. You might choke mm-hmm. if a giant steps in front of you. Mm-hmm. But so that's all you can do is you're benefiting yourself, benefiting your ability, getting better at it is just killing elk. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do. Yep. There's no substitution for doing the real thing, boys. That's, <laughs> that's bottom line. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that is right, yeah. Dan. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, elk are big targets. Uh, you think they'd be tough to miss, but uh, they spike that adrenaline <laughs> so high. Like you think buck buck fever's a thing, bull fever is definitely a thing. You know, there yep. you got an 800 pound animal in front of you. You wouldn't, you'd never miss it shooting in your flip flops in your backyard at your nope. target. But all of a sudden, when you're in the woods, that arrow can go awry pretty quick. Absolutely, and they they can jump the string too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they they can be quick too. It's not like maybe a whitetail or a mule deer can jump the string, but I've had seen some bulls do some wacky stuff jumping the string. Well, an elk too. It's just not something that you can rush. Elk to me are one of the toughest animals on planet Earth. Like if you yep. don't hit them right, lungs hard to liver. Yep. You don't get them. Yep. You know, and so you really have to wait for the right angle. You really have to wait for the the right shot at the right distance and not be, you know, pushing your limits of what you can do or trying to force it in there or make it happen. Like you've got to see that broadside quartering away elk or whatever the case is and stick that arrow in the perfect place and execute correctly. Otherwise, you could be into a nightmare that could ruin you for the next five years, you know, if you don't hit that bull right. Yep. 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 And even if you wait for that just to make that shot because bull fever does come into play. I mean, it's... um, it is tough uh, to be able to do that and, and hopefully know your distance because I think people who are used to shooting smaller animals, you get this big animal coming in, you think it's a lot closer than it is sometimes. Yep. And uh, shooting under an elk or you like overcompensate the other way. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so much that can that can go awry. Mm-hmm. I'm and horrible at judging yardage too. Ugh. And elk, everything happens so quick that sometimes yep. you need to make those quick decisions or be ranging stuff around you, you know, as he's coming in. But there's a little guesswork there with elk, you know, where there isn't with other species where you, you sometimes they come in so quick, you just don't have time. And there, there's also like when we're talking about these learned skills when hunting elk, knowing when to draw your bow when he walks yep. behind a tree. So you don't always have time to get the correct range, you know. So, yep. and, and I'm horrible at judging yardage. I'm maybe the worst in the country. <laughs> if I don't get a range, they don't die. I just, I am horrible at it. I don't know. I need to work at it more, but um, it is a skill that would be good to have. And, sure. And uh, sure. make that shot. Now, if he's 20, 30 yards, I can judge it pretty good. But outside of that, oh, man. Uh, well, and I don't have a lot of speed in my bow. They're heavier arrows. It's an elk setup. Like if I misjudge by two, three yards, I'm probably going to miss him. You know, so there there isn't a there isn't a lot of a room for for error, a lot of forgiveness there. But yeah, judging yardage is tough. Yep. Yep. Well, and the three of us being smaller in stature, we're, we're never going to sniff those 340 IBO rates or anything like that <laughs> and heavier stuff. So, you know, we, you got to compensate. And so it, it is a little bit more important because it's not like the top pin clear out to 40 yards. It, it does make a difference. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. For but sure. it sure is fun trying, and it's fun learning, and fun going on these adventures. Absolutely. I'm really excited for your next season of your hunting show. So where can people find you? Do Can they also find you on, like, YouTube? I know they find you on social mm-hmm. media, your mm-hmm. TV show. But um, tell our audience where they can look you up and find you and, and yeah, watch Yeah, I mean, your there's stuff. a YouTube channel, but I would say the best way is through purehunting.com. I mean, the website, and then there's a... Uh, drop down for videos oh wow so they can watch it on your website then. yep yep it's actually a, you know a link through youtube or whatever but that's the best way rather than trying to search and find oh that's if you're hunting or me or my channel you just go there and it we've got it uh categorized by seasons and uh right now i can start putting season seven up there wow uh, you know under the network agreement you can't put new stuff online until it's already aired for a little bit so it's right now about a season late season six is fully there and i'll start loading up season seven and time goes fast i mean you think you got four months now till five months till july we all know how fast that's going to go um and then all the work that has to go into it and then in july we'll be back on the sportsman channel uh still going to stay on monday nights it's kind of a cool little mini western block you know we western hunter and then pure hunting and into high country and it's people kind of want their western hunting fix they can get it you know for an hour and a half straight how cool yeah and you had some great hunts in season seven too so that's on the website now it will be loading up uh as soon as i get back from this show i can start putting them up there right on yeah Yeah. how cool cool, willie and uh where can people find you on social media well my it's pure hunting official pure hunting underscore official um is the instagram and then i've got a pure hunting facebook page as well um Instagram seems to be where it's at. It's what I enjoy a lot more. So there's a lot more activity on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, Willie, I have really enjoyed um, getting to meet you last year and then getting to know you. Every time I see you, we stop and talk. You're so yep. passionate about hunting, um, uh, so good behind the lens and telling the story. Um, but I've just really enjoyed getting to know you. So thanks again for being on the podcast. We really appreciate well, it. Thanks for the sure. opportunity. This is a great show, fun people, and uh We'll enjoy the rest of the show, and I thank you again for the opportunity. Hopefully it's not the last time. It's just fun to talk. I, hour went yep. way too fast. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to go. And, and thanks right. again, Dan, my bow hunting twin. I love having you on the podcast, Yeah, no, man. It's, it's the best like-minded individuals. I mean, like you say, I go five hours doing this. So <laughs> yep. yeah, I appreciate it, Willie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. yep. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, Again, uh, Willie Schmidt, just a great guy, and uh, really appreciate him taking the time and and uh, sitting down with us and recording a podcast and talking over his season. and And I just love the the tidbits of information that come out when you have an in depth hunting conversation. You you put on those headphones, and so we're using like these. Um, they're an audio technica headset. And so, you know, you've, you've got the, 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 the ears you, you put on the headset, you know, so it covers your ears and then it's got a microphone attached to it and it just puts you in this own world. So even though we have thousands of people walking by and and looking and, you know, they had said, you know, that, uh, the sportsman's guys said it, it really brings in a crowd doing that podcast. I don't even notice I'm in my own world. I, I'm really into the conversation and, and trying to make it interesting, asking the right questions and, and, uh, bringing the most out of our guests. And so I don't even notice, uh, but you put on those headsets and you're just in your own world with those three guys and you're really talking hunting with no distractions, no phones. And, and it, it just brings out these, these conversations and brings out these informations and theories and, and, 
and thoughts on, on Western hunting, on elk hunting and on deer hunting. And I think that's what I truly love about the podcast is just these in-depth conversations. And I'd still, you know, we're almost 150 episodes in and I'm still enjoying it and I'm still enjoying the process and I'm still trying to get better at it and, and more efficient and more effective. So I, I just absolutely love it. And that's all thanks to you guys. Cause if I, if I didn't have anybody listening, I'd just be sitting here in my basement recording on a mic. So, uh, I'm just really happy to have the support of you guys. And it was great to meet a lot of you there at the, at the Western Expo. I just really enjoy hearing the stories about the podcast, how it helped you kill a bull or how, you know, it helped you get through building your house or it, you know, whatever the case is, it's just really nice to hear, you know, these, these authentic you know feelings about the podcast and and also you know I see these numbers on the podcast and you, you kind of watching numbers and statistics and you're trying to grow it and make it as good as you can but it's really nice to meet the faces behind these numbers and meet the people that really enjoy it so it just means the world to me um, but yeah, great podcast. Thanks again to Willie sponsor for today's show, Everly stock packs. They're just building great packs that pack the weight, right? Um, so if you guys are in the market for a new pack, make sure to check it out. And, um, my phone's buzzing here. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I'll set it down. I, um, it's, it's, uh, it always happens. Anytime you go to record on the podcast or record an intro and ending, your phone just starts ringing off the hook. Um, it's just Murphy's Law. Um, but yeah, great podcast with Willie. Great sponsor, Eberly Stock. Um, the The show was really fun. I, I just can't say enough about the Eastmans inviting me in their family. And, and um, they really treat me like one of their own and, and able to, to show up. And even though I work remotely out of Montana and they're in Wyoming, um, they've really welcomed me and, and keep giving me more and more opportunity. So I just can't thank those guys enough. They're all just super guys and, and um, really intelligent, have great insight, you know, into to business and marketing, also into hunting. And so, uh, yeah, the, the conversations come easy when we're hanging out. So, yeah, we had some great dinners and, and uh, just great fun uh, talking over things. So thanks to those guys. Um, I really appreciate everything they do for the podcast. And with that, um, yeah, I better wrap these things up and and uh, get some more work done. I got some computer work today, which is just the worst. I'd rather be out with my nail bags on than than sitting at this computer. But um, you know, I'm just gonna try to be um, good with my time, efficient with my time, work hard, get this stuff done, and then um, get out and get a run and and uh, shoot my bow and and uh, all the necessary stuff. I got my wife taken off for about ten or twelve days here, and so um, it's just uh, me and the two girls hanging out. So we're going to have some fun while she's gone, maybe get them up skiing or something like that. And um, I know we've got volleyball practices and Girl Scouts and archery, uh, state tournament. And guys, we got a we got a bunch of things to take care of. So we'll be busy over here, but uh, all the while trying to squeak in a, a couple podcasts here where I'm lining up another one now. But man, I am just I've got some great recordings to release to you guys. I'm really proud of them. Um, so with that, um get this released and I'll check in with you guys next week. Oh, and Hey, thanks a bunch for all the support guys. I know I always say it. And then I know on that solo podcast, I didn't, 
I mentioned the couple negative comments that I had on there. I really appreciate you guys getting on and making comments on that iTunes. I didn't I didn't mean it like a like a sad story like oh get on and and uh, make a comment for me. I, I just um you know that that stuff bothers me sometimes and I shouldn't, you know, with the bigger we get, you know, you're going to run a, up against negativity and not everybody is going to gel with your personality and there is some truth to it. Sometimes I do talk too much, you know, where I I need to work hard to get the most out of my guests. And so, you know, there's little changes and improvements I can make. I'm always evolving too. And, you know, it wouldn't sting so bad if there wasn't a little ring ring of truth to it. And and there is, you know. Um, So you're just always trying to get better and trying to improve. But I I, I wasn't trying to get sympathy ratings or anything like that. But I I really uh, appreciate all the support, the engagement on the the Instagram and, and Facebook. I really enjoy being able to communicate back and forth with you guys and share parts of my life and parts of my hunting season and, and the podcast. Um, man, life is good. Um, so I'm going to keep working hard. You guys keep working hard towards your goals. Man, hard hard work and effort pays off. It's the only way I know how to get anywhere in life is through hard work, dedication, taking chances, discipline, like, like all those things pay off. And so putting in that time and effort towards your hunting goals they pay off. I mean, it's the it, it's the whole reason I have the skill set as I do is I keep working hard and, uh, you know, I, I keep trying to improve and learn from guys. So it, it really is the, the key to happiness, too, is when you're really engaged and you love something and you have passion for it and you put in all this work and effort and get to go on these adventures, it, it makes for a fulfilling life. But, um, yeah, thanks to you guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. I'll check in with you next week.